2: And I'm Shay Carter.
3: We are partners in feminist crime. This episode is called American Girl, part one, how to stoke the fire within. Our song, American Girl, is a commentary from a woman's perspective of the consumer pressures of society and the irony of our severe mental
2: suffering while living in a first problem world. This deeply personal song highlights the pressures of ageism, sexism, objectification, and survival that American women are facing today.
3: It also acknowledges the mental anguish that comes as a side dish when pursuing the American dream feast. We eat till we are full and still find ourselves empty. This is American Girl.
1: I wish it could be simple. Wish I could be happy with what I got I could live the dream for just two hours Sailing on a rented yacht Trust fun wannabe Got these new shoes overboard With an overdraft fee I wish I was happy But I'm not Why is it so hard Being an American girl? Why is it so hard Living in a first problem world? When the prettiest things Are now holding me back And I can't get away From this massive attack Why is it so hard Too young for the bar, so I went to the bank. Got a loan for college where all I did was drink. Working so hard to repay Sally Mae. Gonna have to freeze my eggs if I want kids someday. If you build it, they will come. I don't think that works for everyone. Chevrolet promises, windblown hair now I'm stuck in traffic, going nowhere Why is it so hard being an American girl? Why is it so hard living in a first problem world?
2: what they have. Put the pill under your tongue when they turn their backs. So put your highest heels on, cause we've got to aim high. Why is it so hard Be an American girl?
3: On one hand, this song is ironic because most women in America have their basic needs met. But on the other hand, we're in this societal cycle that is detrimental. You know, as young girls, we're sold this idea that we must get the diamond ring or the picket fence or those shoes and that nose and what that other woman has in order to be happy. We're sold all of these different things. And if we don't have those things, we are not enough. And then we assume that once we get those things, when I get those things in the future, when I get that
2: house, when I get that life, when I get those followers on Instagram, I will be happy. And I will be that version of my that great version of myself. Tomorrow Shay is always better than the Shay of today. And I think what ends up happening is the
3: pursuit of those things is what actually causes us. Such misery. So for anybody who hasn't seen the American Girl video yet, you can check it out on YouTube. The video interpretation shows a woman breaking into the dream life and finding beneath the beauty and glamour is a dark void. The filtered version of a perfect life does not exist. The video is filled with symbolic imagery. We see a housewife handcuffed by diamond handcuffs to the vacuum that is sucking up money. Around her neck, she has the keys to unlock the handcuffs, but she chooses not to. She chooses the comfort of consumerism and patriarchy over true freedom, like many women out there. And there is additional symbolism laced through the video. She comments on her own fertility when she serves a fake man and child dinner and puts her deviled eggs in the freezer. She leaves bloody Footprints from her Christian Louboutins because financially they bleed her dry. She jumps into a pool and credit cards fall in around her because she is drowning in credit card debt. She's the t- She's the head on a tiger print rug because she is just something to be walked all over. Which is one
2: of my favorites because it comes from an actual advertisement. There was a real ad of a man standing on a rug with a woman's head <laughs> as like the leopard,
3: the like lion head on the rug. There's also a moment where she takes a fire extinguisher to put the fire out, which represents her own fire being put out because of the life choices that she's making and the life that she's choosing. A life we all feel we are breaking into and don't deserve even when we get it. So the video feels like a little bit of a walk into the past, but it's just showing that as much as things really have changed, have they really changed? Mm -hmm. And. We're still confined that, by a lot of the yes, same... Yes, and, and the, the same expectations of what it means to be a woman persist. And we go into debt trying to become that woman too, financially and emotionally, leaving us empty and wondering why we're not happy. We talk about how she's, she's buying things she can't afford. I bought these new shoes overboard with an overdraft fee. I bought these Christian Labouton shoes that I cannot afford. And I'm going to be paying off forever. They're going to put me in credit card debt. That credit card debt is going to cause anxiety. It's going to cause a domino effect in my life because somehow those shoes were validating my self-worth and, and my identity, even if it was just a blip where I got like a shot of feeling good. And I think we become addicted to that, that
2: instant gratification that, that consuming can do for us. We have been addicted to the rush for so long. Um, I actually remember when it first happened for me, when I realized that I needed to have certain things I really needed to fit in. And it was in high school. I kind of dodged all of that at my middle school. I went to a performing arts middle school, and it was really just about being who you were. And I would have like a weird disco day because I loved disco for a minute and everyone just thought I was cool because I was being authentic. And it was just such a a lovely way to live. And then I went to high school and I hadn't learned how to want to conform. And I hadn't learned that standing out in the ways that I was getting praised for before were going to make me a target. And I remember being aware that i needed the right shoes that everyone had and i needed the right backpack and i needed the right outfit just so i would blend in because i didn't have it and i was getting bullied and it just made life so much harder and so i really i really looked for how can i conform And mentally, then that stayed with me. And then it became, now I'm going out into the world, and does my hair look as good as hers? And this person has a Chanel bag, and they're treated differently. And if I dress like this, then people think I have this status. And um, you can play that game and get yourself into debt so quickly. I've seen my mom struggle. I've seen people in, in my family struggle financially
3: to not even be able to have their basic needs met. And I will never be... That person who spends $20,000 on a bag, even if I have it, I, because I think about how many people could be fed with that and how much rent could be paid with that.
2: I also think about money in terms of time. I've worked so many weird jobs and I've been an hourly employee. And so to hand over that money, I really see it as handing over my time. And you can find yourself in so much debt that you end up working the best years of your life, seven days a week, 60 hours a week. And it's like, you know, you sold your 20s for what? You sold your 30s for what? We are only young and in able bodies for a certain amount of time. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Honestly, these these beautiful items that we think
3: will ma- make us feel good, we are enslaved by. And that same thing goes with the person who's, I'm going to spend $100,000 on my wedding. So I'm going to begin my relationship with this person in debt or owing, you know, someone, something or parents or whatever. And, you know, that sort of seems just sort of crazy. I say that, but shit, I did it. And there's this whole industries being built around these ideas of you should and must have this kind of wedding, or it's not a good wedding. There's shows about who, who did it better in terms of those weddings. Um, the dress, you must have that. And all these things that if you don't have it, you're not enough. You are not worthy. You are not worthy of love. Um, You are not worthy of being alive. And so on one hand, when we don't have those things, we don't feel like we're enough. And that creates unhappiness. And then in the pursuit of those things, we become a slave to how much it costs us to have it. And so how are you going to then be happy? You're going to purchase a lot of items that make you feel good. And you're going to go further into debt. And because you have that debt, you have that anxiety. And because you have that anxiety, you're going to take those pills and drink that alcohol. And because you do that, you're going to keep doing more of the other. So it's a cycle. It's this cycle that just keeps going and perpetuating itself.
2: The more we do it, the more that we validate it. So it's sort of like an emotional footprint. You fall in line and you do what the people around you are doing and you agree and you listen and you feel like you need to, in order to have a successful life, I have to check all of these boxes and I'm just doing it without even questioning it. Questioning if it's right for me. And I think in our song, American Girl, this is somebody taking that pause and observing what they're doing. But I think this issue of consumerism um, to
3: fill a void is a very female issue. And for a couple of reasons, 80% of all consuming is done by women. So marketing and media companies are sending messages to women to buy this. And in order for you to believe that you need to buy it, you need to know you're not enough without it, right? So playing into self-worth, and we're also playing into this idea that is age-old that a woman's value is to be desirable and to be desirable on the outside, not to be authentic and not to be peaceful. Because, I mean, shit, if she's peaceful, she doesn't need all this shit. We need to play into the idea that she doesn't feel good about herself, And we need to play into that she doesn't feel good about herself on the outside, that she doesn't feel beautiful enough, because if she's not beautiful, she's not going to get that man. And thus, she's not going to get that power. And thus, she will not get that seat at the table and all these things, which, by the way, all false, all those things are false. But we are we are made to believe that that's the way in for us is to be desirable, because that is what we were taught in the fifties and sixties and and even beyond that. My grandmother, okay, born in I think twenty nine, till the point she was almost ninety years old and died. Every three days, she would wash her hair and roll it and sleep in the rollers. I mean, this was so. And you watch things like I don't know Mrs. if Maisel. you've ever
2: slept in rollers. It is horrible. They should use it in prisons to get information <laughs> out of people. Sleeping in hair rollers is the
3: worst. I used to do it all the time because I was a pageant girl and my mom, I mean I think it's starting at the age two and a half or three, would roll I would sleep on rollers. I I literally would. And you know it's interesting, you know, we talk a lot about this idea of being desirable and being being beautiful. I was a pageant girl. I want a a beauty pageant when I was five years old. I want a new car. Who gives a new car to a five-year-old? The Miss Hemisphere pageant. That's who does it. I was Miss Pee-wee Hemisphere. And so there was all of this in my, my aunt hemisphere, not even universe. The hemisphere Hemisphere. guys, just the hemisphere, just the hemisphere. It stops there. But there was so much emphasis when I was growing up on being beautiful, not only because my grandmother came, was very, very poor. She only had two dresses to her name growing up, but by God, she was going to have her hair and makeup done. And the first thing she said to you when you walked in the house was a comment about your hair oh, I like your hair. It looks good. Or mm, your hair, you're wearing it kind of straight and flat, you know, because everything was bigger hair, right? Well, she would make a comment on how I looked. The first thing my mother and my aunt say when they see anybody or you come over to their house is, oh, I'm a mess. My face mm-hmm. isn't on. The first thing they focus
2: on is the outside of themselves. So there was well, a lot of emphasis there. We also recognize that like, You'll hear these sayings of she let herself go. And there's times where I'm feeling like my best self, but I I don't look my best. I, I woke up. I didn't want to put makeup on. And I want to go somewhere. I want to go to the store. I want to go sit and have a cup of coffee. But I, I do have the pressure of if somebody saw me, what would they assume of me? Because I'm not up to my normal standards or what I've felt in the past needed to be my standard for how I look or how this means I care about myself. This is me showing that I love myself, but is it? Well, I think there's,
3: it's a happy medium. If the hair and the makeup makes you feel good and you're like, I got my groove back because we've been all in quarantine and sweatpants and all this stuff. And I put my hair and makeup on today and I feel fucking great cuz I did it and I'm like shit I look good and my husband said I look cute and I'm like well don't get used to it because I'm going right back to the sweatpants and no makeup and a and the top bun tomorrow um in fact as soon as my son goes to sleep but it's it's interesting that all all of this this is this is so reinforced in mm-hmm. our thinking as women and depending on where you came from and how you're raised, it's
2: even more enforced. It does sometimes seem like a first problem, first world problems are silly and superficial, but it all is in how. It is affecting the human being. Like we have hedonic adaptation. Whatever we get that's nice and new gives us a a blissful happiness for a moment, but it is fleeting and then it's just normal. And then anything under that brings us unhappiness. My smartphone is magical until it stops working and then I am unhappy. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so our levels of comfortability are so extreme and they don't bring us any happiness. It's just normal that when anything happens, we've lost the ability to survive. We don't have basic survival skills anymore. We've evolved past them. When we get uncomfortable, that's really scary and dangerous. There's a great book called The Happiness Equation by Neil
3: Pasricha. Want nothing plus do anything equals have everything. So he talks about in one section of the book, the first 200,000 years of our existence was purely about survival. of our history was with a lifespan of 30 years. 99% of our history was with brains constantly battling for survival. He says, we have the same brains we've always had through this short, brutal, and highly competitive time in our history. Our brains didn't just suddenly change when we got printing presses, airplanes, and the internet. How have our brains been programmed? So then there's a chart, and it has from the year 180,000 BCE which is essentially 200,000 years ago. And it says, in that year, I need food and safety. If I don't get it, I'll die. And it goes through every decade on down to 10,000 BC, where it says, I need food and safety. If I don't get it, I die. In the year 1000 AD, I need food and safety. If I don't get it, I die. In the year 2000, this is where it changes. I need happiness. And if I don't get it, I'll die. And now we're going to invite our guest on, who is an expert in taking your exterior focus and bringing it inward into your soul and your spirit, Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson is a best selling author. Nonprofit and political activist and spiritual thought leader. For over three decades, Marianne has been a leader in spiritual and religiously progressive circles. She's the author of 14 books, four of which have been number one New York Times bestsellers. Williamson founded Project Angel Food. A nonprofit that has delivered more than 12 million meals to ill and dying homebound patients since 1989. She has also worked throughout her career on poverty, anti hunger, and racial reconciliation issues. She has advocated for reparations for slavery since the 1990s and was the first candidate in the 2020 presidential primary season to make it a pillar of her campaign. Her current book, A Politics of Love A Handbook for a New American Revolution, is available today. Please welcome Marianne Williamson to Women of Tomorrow. Marianne, we are so grateful to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Our song, American Girl, depicts the struggle of women chasing external happiness and looking to superficial things to enhance our identity, which keeps us on a quest to gain comfort outside of ourselves. It's ironic that all this external happiness-seeking multiplies the happiness inside of us. How do we fix this?
0: Well, the fact that the situation has become so extreme is a direct result of unfettered capitalism, where back in the 1980s, the idea of short-term profit as the false god of everybody's life almost took over not only our economic uh, system, but the society itself. And so everything became a sales job. You need this in order to be adequate. You need this in order to be accepted. You need this in order to be anything, you know, whatever, power, prestige. And and I think men in their own way have been just as wounded by this. It just takes different forms. But it's the idea that power and meaning lies in things rather than in us. And if that's what we believe, and once again, the the cultural stimulus would have us believe that it. it's coming at us every moment of every single day based on always on somebody trying to sell something. So um, people do realize this. I don't think that we lack um, an understanding that this has occurred. And I think that there is um, enough deep pain and suffering associated with this kind of dissociation from self that is inevitable when you think your power lies outside you rather than inside. You keep trying to get something to fill up this hole. It's insatiable. You can't fill it up that way. You're always coming from scarcity because the system demands that you feel scarcity in order to feel that you need their abundance. This is at this point, it's almost like old news. And I think that people are trying in our own different ways, always spiritual in nature, whether that spiritual is contextualized in terms of religious perspective or not, something that has to do with an appreciation that there's an inner life that has been under-tended to, and that when we have a a, a lack of connection to something inside ourselves, we will also have a false always have a false connection to things outside ourselves. We have a fractured connection with what is most deeply true about ourselves. So we have a fractured connection with that which is most deeply true in other people. And the whole world becomes desacralized, and out of that emerges all level of anxiety and trauma and depression and fear. And then, of course, that same capitalist system has an answer for that. I notice in your in your video, you're taking pills quite a few times. Yeah, and that's right. all part of the same. You know, there's multi billion. That's a multi billion dollar profit center right there. That there is something wrong with you. So that's the assumption that in in the video, there's something wrong with you. Take these pills. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, psychic pain is like physical pain. If you break your leg and you, your then your brain. Uh, produces physical pain, but if I didn't have physical pain, how would I know I have to reset the bone? And psychic pain has a similarly um, necessary uh, function. If I didn't feel psychic pain, how would I know I have to reset my thinking? I have to reset my entire perspective on life. So um, once again, this is the situation. People are expressing it through art. People are expressing it in philosophy. People are expressing it. The, the, that We're at the point where it's being expressed. Now the issue is the reclamation through whatever our practice of that, which is our deep humanity and true sanity.
2: It, it feels like we're stuck in these patterns. And when you're stuck in a pattern that then becomes the habit, and then you can have kind of an unconscious experience that you're kind of just following the steps that were laid out in front of you, um, Sometimes I feel like it's really hard to even a recognize that I'm in a pattern. I'm just recognizing the pain I'm feeling from my actions. I found that when I find outside sources that bring me love and bring me clarity without me needing to be a consumer, without me needing to buy more things when people like me, gen like genuinely for me, I found a philosophy school I really like, but we have this sense of distrust sort of in the entire system. So now even even books and things that are out there to really help people. People are so distrusting of it, afraid to be sold something.
0: Well, there are two things here. First of all, as, as you indicate, there's a kind of perverse comfort zone. Yes. It takes us a while to realize that something's wrong, that I feel this way every day. Because since it's just the way we felt so long, where everybody we know feels, it's almost like we felt. well, this must be life. So the first step is, yes, getting to the point of looking around and going, this is not the way life is supposed to be. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. But to the second thing that you said, I think we all need to grow up and stop coddling our own intellectual laziness. Then read more books. True. Okay. Mm-hmm. American women are not porcelain dolls. This. Oh, I don't know who to trust. Yes, you would if you read more books and you and you put down some of the more superficial uh, reading material, etc. And actually, or it, whether it has to do with spiritual practice, what, whatever it is, actually doing it at a deeper level. We have gotten so used to immaturity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: particularly American women. Yes, we'll we bred into it. Yes, but we're responsible for it now. Yes. And we're not porcelain dolls, and we've had a post we've had a crisis of post adolescence in our society, too many men acting like boys, too many women acting like girls, but no one can make you grow up. you have to choose to grow up, and that's why I said we need to not coddle in ourselves to any kind of I don't know who to trust because yes, you do if you actually read the material right you, you, if you read it enough and listen enough you you do know bullshit when you hear it
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm
3: I mean, it took me a second after a, a lifetime of Catholic education to realize <laughs> which things were bullshit, which things that I responded to, um, it, but it's all about sort of going on that path and journey and asking those questions and listening to the
2: inner voice inside. A lot of spiritual teachers are talking about this, and I feel like if you're a if you're kind of in touch with your spirituality, you see that there's a consciousness awakening and it feels like there's a feminine consciousness that's sort of leading this evolution, this like archetype of the mother. We have our understanding of mother nature and realizing that we're destroying the planet. And there's all of these sort of maternal, this idea of rebirth in our consciousness. That's that seems like it's happening all around us, especially brought up. I think even more by this pandemic, causing us to find stillness, having people reevaluate Why am I working all of these hours? Why have I not been home? Why have I not spent this time with my family? How do we find support in kind of developing this feminine nature that lies within all of us? I don't think it's just women that have this. I think men have like a feminine nature that wants to keep things and grow things. Um, How do we find support for that in a healthy way? Like where are the communities that would help in this kind of global consciousness?
0: The spiritualization process is the ultimate feminization process. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the female goddess figures, Mary, for instance, Mary represents that which is within us all that becomes impregnated by spirit. So in meditation, we open, we, we quiet, we open our hearts. It's like you open your legs. It's like you open your body. And then you receive, that's why it's called the immaculate conception. And you receive, and it's not really with other people. It's with God. That's what meditation does. That's what prayer does. And then that leads to greater community because other people hear you at the level you speak from. So the deeper you go within yourself, the deeper you can bond with other people. But until you've done that work with the God of your understanding, you can have community. You can be with people, but that doesn't mean you really know how to get down with people. That's what spiritual practice is, though, is the answer to your question. That's where the fracture lies. It's within ourselves. And, um, you know, some people find it within specific religious or spiritual practice. Some people talk about mindfulness, and they talk about it in a very, um, you know, secular way. It doesn't really matter the words we use. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said, all problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I think that there's been some benefit to the fact that we don't, kind of like when you, I don't know if it was even before we went on, Lauren, you were talking about how you're used to performing and and you were talking about your relationship with your husband and now you're home all the time. For me, uh, because I've had such a public career for 37 years, it's been a, a time to process some things that my busy mind avoided processing. Um, we've all needed, you know, I heard somebody say that, that that COVID was like Mother Nature saying, go to your room. Just go mm-hmm. to your room and think about what you've done. <laughs> In so many instances. Maybe yeah. that's why I have the anxiety I've got to sort through. And also when you were talking about your relationship, I mean, you really learn a lot about relationships. Uh, I think it's up. I think it's up for everybody.
2: Yeah. Well, you can't run from them and you can't run from yourself. (laughs)
0: That's right. That's exactly the two people you can't run from. That's right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You
3: talk about shifting from probability to possibility. How can this change the course of the human race?
0: If you do have any kind of spiritual perspective, the bottom line is that everything leans in the direction of the beautiful. You have flowers on your table. They lean towards the sunlight. Uh, the crucifixion ultimately turns into resurrection. the The uh, slavery of the Israelites by the Pharaoh ultimately uh, uh, turns into their uh, arriving in the promised land. Uh, the, the The famous line that the ark of of justice is long, but it bends towards justice. The idea that the acorn is programmed to turn into the oak tree, the embryo is programmed to turn into the baby, the bud is blossomed to turn into the to the uh, the bud is tur- programmed to turn into the blossom, and we are programmed for that which is beautiful, harmonious, and peaceful. But it's like going back to your video. We have developed a civilization that counters our own natural knowing. It tells us that we aren't who we essentially know we are. It makes it harder rather than easier for us to bond with others in a natural way. And it has taken us to the point not only of individual trauma, such as your your video certainly portrays her trauma, but it has also, because of all the collective trauma, We are killing ourselves. We are killing ourselves. But once again, what's the good news? That there is many. The conversation that we're all having here today, I believe, millions of people are having in their own way, literally all over the world. We're not. People are not stupid. And one of the things I've seen, because I have worked so much with people who have been like in really terrible situations such as the diagnosis of a life-challenging illness. And one of the things that I've seen with people who just got diagnosed with cancer or they were just told that their child is addicted to heroin or they just were told that they're going bankrupt or they've just been told that their spouse is leaving and they hadn't expected it. I've watched how people get really smart really quickly. So you know how at the beginning of the program we were talking about everybody being really ditzy? Well, let me tell you what cures ditziness, real quick. It's when people are told your, your kid's in big trouble. And I've watched how people, we have this, people, it's like, it's like all this superficial, all these superficial, ultimately unimportant layers of illusion and delusion just fall away. And I think that's the good news. Right now, we are collectively bottoming up and more and more people and I think that this relates to your to your video as well, Laura. She clearly has money. People are realizing no amount of money can protect us from what happens if the shit really hits the fan. And I think we're going to a bottoming out. I think people are upset, but I also think there's a growing up. It's like when I said before that too many men in our society have acted like boys, too many women have acted like girls. I think there's a lot of uh, people who like get that. And I think that's, and and one of the things that I've been saying to people that I think we're all really ready to hear, stop coddling it in yourself and stop coddling it in your girlfriends. You know, some of the biggest, biggest uh, benefit that I've had is when people have just looked at me like, who are you? The biggest help was not somebody who necessarily in every instance said, well, how does that make you feel? Sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes you need somebody just looks at you and says, who are you that you would do something that selfish? Who are you that you would do something that irresponsible? Who are you that you would do something without any sense of their relationship and their needs? And I think a lot of us are going, and then the self-correction occurs. The universe is, is like a GPS, And this is how it is in our personal lives, and this is how the universe is. You take the wrong—we're all programmed for, for rising. We're all programmed for becoming the highest correct version of ourselves. We all, based on the conditioning, what the world has taught us, who among us hasn't taken a wrong turn? Who among us doesn't have remorse, regret, mistakes, embarrassment, humiliation, and so forth? But the universe, whether you see this in religious terms or, or in secular terms, it's like a GPS. You atone for your mistake, and the GPS automatically recalibrates. And one of the things that fascinates me, and that I think is really relevant to where the United States is right now, I really get that I have learned as much from my failures as from my successes. Because embarrassment, humiliation, failure, all those things make you more humble, make you much more open, make you much more compassionate. And it becomes compensatory. You know, it's like the bone that is broken actually comes back together stronger than it was before. And the United States is being humbled. The United States is being humbled. It's like you could, you could look at your video, Laura. It's the whole country. I mean, this whole thing that we set up for ourselves, it's not working. It's not just women. You, 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 you showed the American woman aspect of it, but it's like a kaleidoscope. And I think that this is a difficult moment. This is definitely a difficult moment. I'm not trying to minimize it. It is. But I think the good news is about the bad news is that more people are allowing ourselves to be naked before the terribleness of it you know, raw before it and recognizing that not everything has an easy answer. Like when we talk about this bit with our kids and when we talk about things with digital, it's not easy answers. And I I love the book. One of my favorite books is Rilke's Letters to a Young Poet. And where he says, if you don't know the answer, sometimes you just have to live the question. But your program is an example, and I see it everywhere. People are—we're asking deeper questions, and we're not going to have deeper answers unless we're asking deeper questions. But what podcasts like this are doing—you see it. I mean, I do see it. People are having these deeper conversations, and out of that, I do believe will emerge the collective wisdom that on the other side of the storm—and it is a storm—but yeah. I do believe that there's that there's justice and goodness and love on the other side.
2: I so agree with that. And I've also found so much um, I've learned so much from, from the youth I was um, working and I'm, I'm 35 and I was working for this company called Awesomeness TV. And our demographic was 13 to 22. And I had all these judgments of the screen time and what kids were doing online. And then when I saw it for myself and I watched how kids, regardless of how much money their parents made, were able to learn a million instruments, they were able to read a million books. They were. And so now there wasn't these blocks that used to exist with how much money you had and, and And not only that, I saw kids that were so interested in saving the environment and passionate about it and passionate about politics, even though they can't vote. Even my own generation, it was not cool to know about politics in high school. And I'm seeing these kids and they are fired up because there's conflict. So it's bringing this attention and it's beautiful. And and I'm learning so much about even my own um, the words that I choose to use based off my generation Um, the gender, the gender thing too, especially male and female and realizing that people feel differently than being in these boxes. And it's opening up my mind and thank God that I have access to hearing the voices of the youth because it's, it's having me learn so much and be so much more open. Um, One of my big frustrations, and I was wondering if you had a comment on this is you know, term limits in terms of our senator and our Congress people, because in order to change the Constitution, they would need to vote on term limits, which would be them voting on their own jobs. This feels like such a frustrating thing for me because it feels like the corruption is so impenetrable if we're unable to bring people out of powerful positions. Um And I know in all big major movements, a minority group of people got together to fight something that seemed impossible, the women's movement, civil rights. Uh, And I know that that is coming. I just, I don't, I don't see how.
0: Well, there's a level on which term limits is the least of it. So let's go back. First thing you talked about, and I agree with you so much about the young people. Um, Not only that, these young people that you're talking about are not 20th century people. Mm-hmm. A lot of them weren't even born in the 20th century. And <clears throat> all of them, no matter what, the majority of their lives is about the 21st century. 21st century mindset is different than the 20th century mindset, just like the 20th, 20th was different than the 19th. And they, they should feel that they should not have to be burdened by bad ideas left over from the 20th. So there's this added rambunctiousness, I think, of the normal repudiation that comes along with any individuation process of any generation does seem to be magnified this time. And also because they realize that so many of the economic, social, and political paradigms have inherited will literally kill them. So... So they're not listening. So that's very good. I also, however, think that there, I'm really glad to see what a lot of what's called today intergenerational dialogue, because I think the younger you are, the more you know certain things, but the older you are, the more you know certain other things. The both are true. I think of the decade. Every decade is like a a, a grand room in an amazing house. Every room is amazing in its own way. When you're in one room, you're not any longer in the room you used to be in, and you're not yet in the room that you will be in. So I think there's something about the wisdom of every decade and what it's showing us, every phase of life. And the, once again, intergenerational dialogues, I think, are also really profound. I think sometimes when I've heard older people say, well, we're not treated with respect, my response has been, why don't we act more respectable? Because I think when we do behave with respect, every younger generation really does want to hear from the elders, but not if they're talking bullshit. Now, in terms of, of um, Congress, the problem is the, the, the fact that our democracy is, is so threadbare. Our democracy itself is on life support. Term limits Helps, but it's treating a symptom. It's not treating the cause. And also, there is something about institutional memory. If you have term limits, you couldn't you would one of the arguments against term limits, which does have some validity to it, is how will you ever have long-term planning? We already don't have long-term financial planning. We already don't have long-term environmental planning. Every every single congr- congressional session would be starting out uh, over at the beginning. So it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Getting to the root of the problem fix- it means fixing our democracy. This is where H.R. 1 comes in. This is where the Fourth People uh, Act, which is the bill in the Senate, which is the parallel to H.R. 1 comes in. H.R. 1 had already passed in the Senate. I mean, had already passed in the House last time but the democrats didn't have the senate. Now the democrats have it. This is more important than any other bill right now. It, it gives us automatic voting rights. I also believe in terms of what you were saying about the kids because I that is so my experience as well. I think the voting age should be uh, lowered. Uh, to at least 17, I wouldn't even have a problem with 16, but at least to 17. Why does somebody who stands a chance of living here for another 10 years have more power than somebody who would have a chance if we got it right to living here another 50 years? Right? Uh, but this this bill, which will counter these horrific voter suppression efforts that that are going on all over the country. So so uh, the term limits issue is treating what we've got to go deep, and that has to do with the For the People Act. Some people have a problem with it, which I do understand. Having been a candidate, I understand. Uh, it's not good to third parties. Uh, that's a real problem. But in other ways, it's really, really important because the Republicans are doing a full-scale assault all over the country right now on voting rights. Once you, uh, once you uh, suppress voting rights enough, uh, it's all over. It's already almost over anyway. But that's really a nail in the coffin of our democracy.
3: I think I I read uh, yesterday, again, getting my news from Instagram. Uh,
0: Which is where, you know, <laughs> with that look at people like Janet, not Janet Yellen, Jessica Yellen on Instagram. Mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> um, you know, I... I I read something about it's now going to be illegal to give food and drink to people in line to vote. And I'm like,
0: how? I just want to say, how? blatantly obvious you know what i think the term how fucking dare they that's really needs to be our spirit now how fucking dare they (laughs) this is is, and for people to see this is a direct attack attack on our democracy and what you had in this last election you have some 75 year old woman uh who's standing in line for hours and she and no and somebody's being arrested for giving her some water
3: You wouldn't do that at an amusement park and in Disney World when the lines are two hours. If someone were coming by and sees someone about to faint because it's hot outside, they give them water. I
0: it's this just is like cutting this off. Water. Uh, this is also though what I was saying before. It's becoming so obvious now that people are seeing it, and and I think uh, Shay what large said is exactly my point. It's so much deeper at this point. I mean, that, that's kind of like the conversation 10 years ago, term limits. It's really more what she just said. They are tr- doing everything possible. And by the way, they are unabashed about it. They admit it's because they know that if enough people vote, they'll lose. Because all they're offering the American people is privatization, austerity, and deregulation. They're promising to make a small group of people rich, and the rest of you will drop dead if you have to. Right. And, and we're on, we're on cool. our
3: planet-
2: in the meantime, and, and keep, the woman, dropped keep in. a woman. Keep a woman in our
0: her home. dead.
2: Coming, coming back full circle to why social media can be a beautiful thing is it's a lot harder to cover anything up. Everyone has a smartphone. You can take a video of somebody acting like that, and you That's can get all of that information out there yeah. where before those stories would have been crushed.
0: Yeah. Look at police brutality. Yes, I mean if somebody hadn't had the had the the video of George Floyd. No one would have been
2: believed, and that story would have been squashed. And of
0: course, what we have now that's taken us into such dystopia is even with videos. I mean, look what's happening with the riot. We know what happened, and we know who those people were. And we have a U.S. senator saying they were Antifa, they were not Trump supporters, and they were well-behaved. So we're being asked, or like with Eric Garner, when we're being asked now, to deny what our own eyes are telling us. So even when we have videos now. So that's why I think and I do think this goes back to what you were saying about American women. We gotta rise up. But it's gotta be a lot bigger conversation than just ourselves and how we feel. Because it's like you're talking about your child law, this is our kids we're talking about, this is your nieces and nephews. This is this is as serious as any time. So we can't be porcelain dolls around it. We have to be really filled with grit and filled with grace right now. So,
3: well, that leads me to you ran for president in 2020. Why did you do it? What did you learn? In hindsight, would you have done anything differently?
0: I'm so curious. I did it because every cell in my being said to do it. I once heard Oprah say, actually, don't do anything unless every part of you says yes. Every part of me said yes. That's why I did it. Um, And it's not something, it is so brutal, as well as exhilarating, that unless you feel that gut level yes, it's a difficult thing to hang on to. What I learned is that it's a multi billion dollar piece of performance art. I'm sorry to say. And uh, would I do it again? Absolutely. Uh, Do I have regrets? Yes, I would do it better. I wish I'd done it better. You know, one of the things that so much of my own spiritual journey has been about is being gentler. In that political campaign, I needed to be tougher. When Anderson Cooper came at me, I should have told him a few things. When when I would wake up every single morning and read lies about myself and then was very ill-advised, don't talk about it because that brings attention to it. But that's ridiculous because it's all anybody was talking about. I should have gotten on Facebook Live every single day and told the truth and pointed out why the political media industrial complex had so much investment in making me appear silly. So I wish I had, I wish I had been tougher.
3: You know, you don't know. What you don't know. That's right. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it's like so yeah, many. I don't know what you don't
0: know. And ain't that the truth. You know, I,
3: so many things. I mean, I can't even tell you even raising a child, oh, I should have done this. I should have, you know, we
0: should all over ourselves. I have something to say about that, though, as a mother of a 30-year-old. Um, it's all going to come back to you once they've grown up. When I look at things I see as my mistakes when my child was growing up, I should have known. About my political campaign, how could I have known? I see different ways in which how could I have known. In terms of mothering, it goes back to what we were saying before. If you got off the damn phone, off the damn computer, and read the right books, you would have known. Right, right, right. So when my friends, I was just talking to a friend earlier today, telling her about some things I've been through with my 30-year-old daughter. And she says, you did the best. And she started doing, talking about all the things I did right. I said, you know what? I know you mean well. That doesn't really serve me right now. What I need to look at right now is the things I didn't do right. And I know it's because you love me and you saw the good things. So I can't tell you, Laura. I, I am so clear now. Particularly Now, early childhood, I think my daughter did have it right, though. Uh, I, I did have it right, which is early. I, I did. And I, and I do see too many mothers and fathers of uh, children in early childhood who perhaps do not appreciate uh, how important those years are of every single moment you spend with them. Every single moment you spend with your child before the age of five, you and your husband, it's all going in there. You are it. After five, that's why the Jesuits say, give me a child before he's, mine, he's before five, he's mine. After five, you'll still be the main download, but you won't be all of it. But the distractedness of the American parent today, you know, like when you that video you did, Laura, as we know, if you actually take the woman, the archetype of that woman in your video, she has a child or two in some other room.
2: There's a show on Apple TV right now called Becoming You, and it follows a hundred different children from across the world until the age of five and the different ways that you become you. And it's like nomads um, in Mongolia, and it is beautiful. Becoming You? Becoming You. And it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, we 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 don't. We do have we do have some things that are very charming and very good, but you do see the benefits in the simplicity and the indigenous of, people. Yes, of people. the indigenous people. And I've been thinking of this so much, you know, we've humans have been around for millions of years, but this society has only existed for thousands of years and we're already about to go extinct.
0: And the nuclear so, family is just a, a little aberration of oh, a modern chapter. You know, I heard Gabor Monte talking the other day. Um, uh, uh, about this and you know I hear a lot of young parents talking about I know my mother had told me you can't you cannot spoil a child before the age of two I see so much oh I think was great advice if that child before the age of two you cannot spoil a child I see so many. Oh,
3: I understand. We say you can't spoil them enough is what my mom would
0: say. No, Meaning, same thing, Yeah, same. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it's I, the same I, thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely the same thing. Right. So, so many parents that will leave a child who's crying, sitting there saying they need to learn it. They need to learn self-comfort. No, they don't at 16 months. That's your job. The The lack of bonding, these kids and their parents will pay a price for that.
3: It's There's a lot of, I, I got to tell you. I mean, reading these books and these different things I listen to, there's a lot of conflicting opinion and you really do. Ha- it it does come down to knowing your child and your relationship with your child and making a decision that works for you. And uh, it, it's been, you know, I've, I've read things about, you know, parent led, child led, respectful, Child rearing, meaning that you that you respect the child's sense of creativity and time and space. You don't interrupt when they play. You allow them to play until they come to you. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that. And so some of these things um, I think are really great. And some of these things simply do not
0: work. Well, also, I think what Shay was saying, and that's why I want to watch that program. Nature. And evolution, there are ways that were that were established over millions of years of evolution, and sometimes you see the, the natural ways that are the most beneficial. That you see more in indigenous cultures. That you see more in cultures that do not have the ravages of modernity in their midst, or the benefits of modernity in their midst. So, uh, and and I think also when you once again going back to your um, to your video, when you're disconnected from source, God, whatever words we want to use. You're disconnected from your own gut. You know, when I was a kid, they used the term mother's intuition. I think mothers know things. We know things. And we're, we're, we're asking experts, quote unquote experts, who they don't know necessarily. My child, and I think children, and, and I know you probably know this already with your child, maybe not quite yet, Laura, Children tell you when they're ready to learn certain things. But I do think it's a yin and a yang between, between their playfulness, et cetera, and are teaching them some discipline and some rules of right behavior because I don't think we've done that well raising a society of spoiled brats either. We have a song
2: on the album called Calling Our Lost Boys um, because we recognize that a lot of this behavior, especially with the Me Too movement that we're seeing, that's all a learned behavior. Little boys grow up. In love with their mothers. Women are the highest things to them. And then society comes in and and we teach them something else. I'm looking at these indigenous kind of tribal communities. And when the pressure isn't on just your nuclear family to give that love and attention, and when it's divided with so many people, there's such an abundance of love. And it doesn't deplete one or two people because it's coming from so many people. And just in watching that documentary and reading the things I've read, it feels like that is a more natural way to live. And then their ability to give love is also going to be the same to community, to the world, not just my family, people that look like me.
0: Absolutely. You know, when I, when my daughter was born, I was a single mother. I had her by myself. And one of the things that happens when a woman is a single mother, and I would assume the same if it were a man, is that godparents and friends feel much more permission to come in. So it was tribal. I mean, every, I mean, there was, and I think that, the best phase of her life in that sense was early childhood. There were something like four or five godfathers, four or five godmothers, and just people feeling permission to command that i don't think they would have felt if oh you know the parents blah 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 and I realize how much value I couldn't agree with you more and once again, just even looking at history, this nuclear family, just mommy and daddy and the kids is is like a is like this compared to this and a mile away in terms of the natural order of things.
2: Mm -hmm. And that's why
0: I want to watch that show Becoming You. The
3: cosmic spotlight isn't pointed at you. It radiates from within you, a quote you had. How are we dimming our light and how can our light be bright and self-sustaining?
0: I think one of the um, neuroses of our culture is everybody wants to be in the spotlight. But too few people who want to be in the spotlight have any idea what the purpose of that would be, what they would say what they would do once the spotlight was on them. What, what would be the purpose of having a, a platform? What would be the purpose of having people listening to you? Rather, it's this narcissistic, look at me. I have this many clicks. I have this many bestsellers. I have this much, you know, I'm a media influencer star, whatever. It's sick. It's part of the neurosis when you instead are, are instead of grasping for the spotlight to be on you you're serving a light which is within which is bigger than you the irony of course is that the spotlight on you comes much more easily because everybody trying to be unique is looking so conforming and people who aren't even trying have a light that radiates from within them much like little children do and so uh when you realize the true spotlight that lies within us all, by whatever name you call it, you could call it Buddha Mai, Shekinah, Christ, God, Source, Love, whatever we call it, when we not only recognize that light in ourselves and in others, but seek to serve that light in ourselves and others, then you do shine from within. And if there is a way that you could be of use to the world, the spotlight will find, it, find its way to you.
2: You have an event coming up um, called Reality and Relationships. And I think our community would be so interested oh, in thank
0: that. You. <laughs> well, I hope that they will go then to Marianne.com and learn more about it. And it is this idea that everything is a relationship. And that when you have that relationship to where you come from, then and only then, and that in a, in a divine sense that you are sourced by something bigger than yourself. When you have that reconnection, then you have the reconnection to yourself because that's who you are. And when I'm reconnected to myself then and in a very real way only then can I connect with you in a way that's real and authentic and peaceful. And then life becomes a web of relationships rather than a web of disconnection and trauma and pain and all of those things that you show so perfectly in your video. And I love your voice, by the way.
3: Oh, thank you. Marianne, I cannot thank you enough, not only for being at this podcast with us, for being a part of our Double Standards event in 2017, but also for all the work that you've done and how it's impacted me. I read Return to Love, your book at 21 years old. And I really do think that it sort of recalibrated me at the time and impacted almost every single decision I made in my life from that point on.
2: I've used so many of your prayers. You've given words to so many things that were like hard for me to put into those words and organize. So thank
0: you. Thank you. Well, it takes one to know one. So, uh, it's, it's a good feeling among all of us that all we, we write about sisterhood, we think about sisterhood and then we experience it and we know what value it can be to the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, good luck to you. I look forward to hearing more of the songs and, um, I hope that your your podcast will continue to put out the kind of material that goes to Steve. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Marianne. Thank you. Bye. Have a great bye day. Bye. Thank you, darling. We live in the future and we live in the past. The Shay of tomorrow is going to be better and I have all the shame from the shame of yesterday. From the <laughs> Shay of yesterday. But my ability to change anything only exists in the present moment. It doesn't matter if I live 100 years or 10 years, my present moment is the same as your present moment and it's all... It's all that there is. If you want to fill your news feeds and all of your social media profiles with something that's going to make you a better person and not mm-hmm. something that's going to try to sell you a designer handbag or tell you to take skinny pills every three seconds, please follow Marianne Williamson at Facebook
3: at Williamson Marianne, Twitter at Mar Williamson, Instagram at Marianne Williamson, YouTube at Marianne Williamson. And you can check out the event that she's doing on March 19th and 20th. On Zoom, where she talks about strengthening relationships. All of this will be in our show notes. I hope you have a great day. Be kind to each other. Be good people. If you like our podcast, please like and subscribe. And if you would like to check out our music from our upcoming album, Women of Tomorrow, various tracks are available everywhere on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and beyond. Have a good one.
1: You take the high.